0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Jeff's Bible Trek. It's been a while since we've been on here. The sun is shining in the great state of Oregon in the great Pacific Northwest, and we are starting a new season. The season is called After the Heart of God, Studies in the Life of David. This is a study that has been many years in the making. For many years, I've always wanted to do a study in David. I've assembled thoughts, ideas, notes on all manner of things, church bulletins, napkins, notepads, you name it. And here's my conclusion. (laughs) That's right, I'm beginning with my conclusion. All of you seven habits of highly effective people, fans, will remember that the first habit is begin with the end in mind, and so that's what I'm doing here. Here's my conclusion. You cannot really unlock David until you've been on a journey similar to his. And that means unless you've been through some trouble and hardship. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. And Paul said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The writer to the Hebrews said to consider hardships as discipline from God our Father. That's not good news, really, but the reality is that character is shaped by hardships. I saw something on this in a book I've been reading called The Good Life by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz, and on page three, I just have to read something that I saw here. And I quote, spoiler alert, the good life is a complicated life for everybody. The good life is joyful and challenging. It's full of love, but also pain. And it never strictly happens. Instead, the good life unfolds through time. It is a process. It includes turmoil calm, lightness, burdens, struggles, achievements, setbacks, leaps forward, and terrible falls. And of course, the good life always ends in death. A cheery sales pitch, we know. But let's not mince mince words. Life, even when it's good, is not easy. There is simply no way to make life perfect, and if there were, then it wouldn't be good. Why? Because a rich life, a good life, is forged from precisely the things that make it hard. Unquote. Wow, isn't that good? Here's an interesting fact the original Hebrew word for humble meant someone who is shaped by affliction. So it would seem that in our Christian world, affliction is designed to make us humble. And humility is designed to make us more attractive to God. I'm going to say that again. Affliction is designed to make us humble, and humility is designed to make us more attractive to God. We'll have more to say on humility in a minute, but I have always been fascinated with David. I, I can't believe that somebody like him actually lived as a human. He is a key figure in the Word of God to whom great covenants and promises were made. He is a figure whose name pops up with regard to end times. I won't get into that now because this study is not about end times. He is the Bible character I most want to talk with in heaven. My question has always been, what made him tick? How did an Old Testament character have such a yearning for God? Listen to Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 84 and verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Why was God so inclined toward David? What in the life and heart of David caught God's attention? What brought the favor of God into David's life? And why do I want to know? (laughs) Because I want the favor of God in my life. I want to have the same level of desire for the heart of God and to live closely to him. I do not want to be a spectator to the dynamic Christian life. I want to be right smack dab in the middle of the center of it. So today I can tell you that my own heart is in pursuit of the heart of God. That deep passion for God that David expressed is what I long for. In this study, we're going to look at unique qualities of David, and I say unique because they stood out in stark contrast to everyone else in his day. We're going to look at what it means to be after the heart of god we're going to look at what's in what's in the heart of god and where david's inspiration came from and then we'll look at specific incidents in his life along with his psalms written at that time to gain insight into what he was thinking in those situations what motivated him what guided him what he felt And the goal of all of this is that you will have a more intimate relationship with the God of heaven and that some of the anointing and favor that was on David's life can be caught by you and me. So let's consider some of the following qualities in David's life. First of all, David did what was right. I guess another way to say that is that he was righteous. Another way to say that is that he by and large, was doing the right things. In Jeremiah, we can see clearly why the Israelites got kicked out of their land, I mean, besides gross idolatry. They weren't doing the right things. They would worship God when they were supposed to, but cheat their neighbor whenever possible. They would take shortcuts in what they brought to God. They became greedy and would oppress one another for their own gain. This was all true right up to the highest levels of leadership in the land, and God always exposed it. Nobody got away with it in secret, and he has done that in every generation. We cannot carry on unrighteous activities that we think are secret, and they're really not, and expect to have David's relationship with God and the anointing and favor that come with it. So right here, right now, at this juncture in our lives, we have to draw a line of demarcation that says, from this point on, we will do the right thing every time, even if it hurts. Now, this is not impossible. It's a choice. And the sooner we make that choice, the better, because we live in a time when God is bringing stuff into the light. Psalm 15 sums up a lot of what I'm talking about here. Now, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation, which we'll use a lot in this series. In the title of this Psalm 15, it says, living in the shining place, and that term shining place is a translation of the word tabernacle. But it has another meaning, living in the light of God, instead of hiding in the darkness in hopes that he won't see us. Here's Psalm 15. First of all, there is a question posed. Yahweh, who dares to dwell with you? Who presumes the privilege of being close to you, living next to you in your shining place of glory? And then the answer is provided. They are passionate and wholehearted, always sincere and always speaking the truth, for their hearts are trustworthy. They refuse to slander or insult others. They'll never listen to gossip or rumors nor would they ever harm a friend with their words. They will despise evil and evil workers while commending the faithful ones who follow after the truth. They make firm commitments and follow through, even at great cost, or even though it hurts, as some translations say. They never crush others with exploitation, and they would never be bought with a bribe against the innocent. And listen to this, those who do these things will never be shaken. They will stand firm forever. Another quality of David was humility. I talked about that a little bit earlier. And this was diametrically opposed to other leaders. It's diametrically opposed to some Christians and Christian leaders as well. Over the past 47 years, I've watched what happens to people as they begin to acquire and display an anointing. I'm not going to go into detail about what I'm talking about. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. You can see it on their faces, how they carry themselves. They become proud and arrogant. The opposite of humility. But David never lost sight of where his anointing came from, and also he knew that God could lift that anointing if he crossed the same line that he had watched King Saul cross. One of the greatest verses on humility is Isaiah 66 and verse 2. This is the one I esteem. This is God talking. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit And trembles at my word. (laughs) This is where we need to get to if we are going to carry the anointing of God into a humanity that desperately needs it. And as we've already said about the Old Testament word humble, it came from a root word which means affliction. Affliction and humility seem to have a cause and effect relationship. David, I mean, you would look at David's life, he was a little cocky when he was young, judging by how he behaved towards his older brothers prior to the incident with Goliath. But God, who sees what is in every heart, had to shave off some rough edges in David's life through the many afflictions he endured at the hands of Saul. And these afflictions brought about the humility that is needed if we're going to reach our full potential and know God better. That's the goal, to know God better. I don't want Jesus to say to me, away from me, I never knew you. The next quality of David is worshipful. He was an extravagant worshiper. Do you want a David anointing, a David-type relationship with God? Become a full-time worshiper. I think this is what got, what got God's attention in the first place. As the Spirit of God roamed throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts were perfect towards him, I think he heard a voice rising up from the sheep pasture. And the Spirit of God said, back up the bus. I need to see what that sound is and where it's coming from. Worship makes war in the heavenlies on your behalf and on the behalf of others. It sows the seeds of heaven into a realm where the prince of the air moves and causes heaven's fruit to grow there, driving out the fruit of hell. Worship, it brings the touch of heaven to your life. It brings the anointing that was on David to your life. Next, David was forgiving Think of the things that occurred to David in his life. He was hated and persecuted by his brothers. His father probably didn't think he'd amount to much. He was ridiculed by others when he stood up for the honor of his God. He was chased all over the countryside for likely more than a decade by Saul, whom David respected and honored as God's anointed to the bitter end. As king, he constantly endured wicked men around him who spilled innocent blood and undercut his leadership. He had his heart broken over and over again, but he never allowed bitterness to stick to him. He forgave. Hear me. He forgave. I'm telling you, holding on to unforgiveness does not hurt anyone but ourselves, and it releases physical and spiritual poison into our lives. Think of what Jesus endured on the cross at the hands of men, his own creation, and he forgave them all. Yet we'll allow ourselves to get offended over the pettiest of things. Do we want a David anointing? Come on. Do we want a David-type relationship with God? Then come on, we need to let it go. Forgive. Move on. We need to keep our hearts pure and clean. Another quality of David is he gave people the benefit of the doubt. There are lots of examples, but just a couple. King Saul. I mean, Saul was a royal pain, literally. David constantly defended him, calling him the Lord's anointed and refused when he had the chance to raise a hand against him. There's a little guy named Shimei, the guy who followed David along the road, hurling curses down on him as well as rocks and dirt. And when his soldiers wanted to go down there and lift the guy's head off his shoulders, he said, no, perhaps the Lord has told him to do that wow, who does that? Who says that? I personally have struggled with forgiveness in the past because of the early life I walked through. I built a self-protective wall around myself that tended to assume the worst about people and their intentions. It was a protective mechanism put in place so I couldn't get blindsided. But I knew this, if I was to know God like David did, If I wanted to have a David anointing, I had to live in a place where I could only think the best about people and give them the benefit of the doubt. The next quality is David was acutely aware of his own faults and shortcomings. David was the first to say when he fell short. His presence in a certain town resulted in the death of the priests there in that town at the hands of Saul, and he felt responsible for it, and said so. In the incident with Bathsheba, David came completely clean before God in repentance. Listen to this uh, few verses from Psalm 51. For I'm so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord." Everything I did, I did right in front of you, for you saw it all. Against you, and you above all, have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. That was written right after the incident with Bathsheba. And the sad fact is, the fallout from that incident resulted in pain and grief in David for the rest of his life. And he was acutely aware of his responsibility for those consequences. I'm sure he said to himself and others, every time a consequence happened, he said, yep, consequence that's a consequence there's another consequence you know he 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 just knew to know god like david did and to have a david anointing we must take responsibility for our lives and hear me not blame others i'll just let that hang there for a second <laughs> another quality david had is he let god deal with people Think again about King Saul. David had several opportunities to take him down, but he wouldn't do it, and he stopped others from doing so also. He let God deal with them. Joab, the head of his army, killed several innocent men, men that David highly respected. He let God deal with him. Nabal, the guy who refused to provide food to David's men, boy, David was ready to kill him but left him in the hands of God because of Abigail's plea, Nabal's wife. It took time for justice to be served in these cases, but it came out well in the end and built character in David for waiting on the Lord. If we want a David anointing, we must shake off our fast-acting mindset and learn to wait, wait, wait on the Lord where it comes to people. (coughs) Excuse me. If we find ourselves in a job, (laughs) we're an employee in a job with Saul reincarnated as our boss. We must resist the urge to mouth off or do anything that will mar the reputation of Christ. We need to be the best biblical employee we can, and we need to pray for quote unquote Saul. Give God the opportunity to deal with people, and God will be glorified. You know, over the years, there have been numerous occasions when I prayed for God to deal with someone, and soon saw the results of that prayer with my own eyes. A great quality of David is that he loved affectionately. His relationship with Jonathan is a prime example. Man, you talk about a men's accountability group, a group of two. After the incident with Goliath, David and Jonathan were knit together in spirit, and they loved each other freely and affectionately. This should apply to anyone in our lives that we love, our spouse, our children, our close friends. It's so important in a world that needs to see the love of Christ. If we want a David anointing and David relationship with God, we should learn to love affectionately and become capable of deep friendship. You know, I've studied near-death experiences a lot, and oftentimes when someone comes face-to-face with Jesus, he asks the person, did you learn to love? What if Jesus said that to you today? You know, it, loving is a learned behavior. He said, did you learn To love, but we learn to love by putting the interest of others ahead of our own. The unique qualities just go on and on, such as this one. He looked to God first in all decisions. Since David walked with God, he checked in with the Lord at every major decision point, except perhaps the Bathsheba thing. I I don't think, yeah, but he did it before going into battle, he did it with regard to leadership issues. When faced with a big decision, where do we go first? God will impart his favor to those who look to him first in all things. David was confident in the power of God. No matter how big or small the issue was, David was confident of God's power. In the incident with Goliath, after God provided him with some practice with a lion and a bear, David hung himself out there in full view of two armies with his bold faith declarations and trust in Almighty God. In the battles he went into, he constantly checked with God. The final quality of David I want to talk about is that he had incredible loyalty. Loyalty towards God. Loyalty toward the nation of Israel. Loyalty toward the king. This is the best example of his loyalty to a king who wanted to kill him. Whether to a boss, other authority figure, such as a pastor, a boss, or a spouse, kids, or friends, God will put his favor on those who are deeply loyal. Now, I know there are limits to this. I'm certainly not advocating blind loyalty to some leaders, but if you're walking with God and looking to him first— In all things, you'll know when it's right to fall in with full loyalty toward leadership. If we can't do it, we should probably pray through and get out before we make life miserable for everyone involved. (laughs) Well, we want to switch gears and begin to talk about what it means to be a person after the heart of God, but I think we're going to put a comma in this um, right now, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again. Until then...